If you brought your Bibles, you can open them to Romans chapter 1. We are going to begin in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. Last week we began a new teaching series straight out of Romans. We're going to spend uh, weeks and weeks and weeks in Romans. Uh, and, and in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll just remind you, sitting right outside, also online, are reading guides. I can't possibly cover everything that's in Romans. Paul's letter to Rome is uh, uh, like a last will and testament of theology. I mean, this thing is massive and and. Deep. It's a great place for you to go uh, in, your, in your studies with couples to read together and talk about together and work through together or, or in your discipleship groups. So I, I challenge you, challenge you to pick up one of our reading guides and follow along. Each week's teaching will, uh, will connect, but it, but it can't cover everything. Uh, I confess to you today that, uh, that uh, today's teaching has me scared to death. Uh, I get to talk about uh, a, a passage of scripture um, that is just weighty. And even, I confess to you, even this morning as I was driving in uh, and praying about today and, and worshiping uh, and, and trying to get ready, just like the a huge weight of the Spirit just sat on my shoulders. And, and even this morning I was getting, you guys know I don't cry because I'm a man, um, but in even this morning in the car, like I'm just my I, I didn't cry, but that I'd had that lip thing, you know, and like the lips start shaking, like that's the that's the the kind of teaching that we're in today. And so I'm just gonna ask, let's let's pray over these words before we dive into them. Father God, we approach you today humbly. Uh, personally, God, I'm just uh, I'm overwhelmed by. by what happens in these words, by how you are revealing yourself to us. And so God, I just, uh, I ask uh, your spirit to come through me and to uh, pour through me the gift of teaching this morning. I pray that uh, your message of truth would would ring out. And so Father God, uh, be with us today. Open our minds and hearts to receive your words. We love you, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen, I told you, told you. So today, um, I'm intimidated by this teaching and this text, uh, and so mostly I'm just going to let the word speak for itself, and so if you have your Bibles, I do encourage you to open them, because we're going to spend a lot of time just allowing the text to speak but really for me, uh, as I was looking at this text, uh, I have three words or, or, or three messages that are going to kind of guide our, our time together today. The, today's teaching is affectionately called the heart, the hammer, and the whole kit and caboodle. And so we're going to kind of work through those three things, heart, hammer, and the whole kit and caboodle. Are you with me? Are you ready for this? Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and it'll be on the screen to help us walk through as well. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Keep going. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. 
For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Last week in Paul's letter, we talked about this good news, and the reason he is writing is this good news, this good news, this good news, and now uh, it is almost like he is, uh, the, the first part of Romans chapter one is, uh, it's almost like he butters you up, like, Let's talk about some great stuff. And now in verse 18, it's time for us to get into some tough stuff. But I love the way he begins. He simply begins by asserting that there is a truth about God and your heart knows it. We talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago in our teaching series uh, out of Luke. Uh, two, uh, a couple is on the way to a town outside of Jerusalem called Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them in disguise wearing a fake mustache. The couple don't recognize Jesus, but Jesus uh, walks with them in disguise and begins to reveal scripture to them. And eventually, they get to a point where they start to see through Jesus' disguise. And that's right when he disappears. And it says in scripture, one of my favorite verses, the couple look at each other like they had just been in the presence of God and didn't realize it. And they say, didn't our hearts burn? within us. And I love this idea because it is the idea that even though our eyes may not see the truth of God, there is a truth of God that exists inside each and every one of us. And Paul says in Romans, he says, says this can be clearly seen, the invisible qualities of God, his eternal power and divine nature, like, like it is seen in the earth and the sky. He said, if you just look around, you can't deny it. That there is a God and the truth of him is is there for all of us. Maybe it happens in that moment right. Have you you ever had been in one of those moments in a, AJ, I know you're in here, you just learned how to drive. Don't listen to this. Um, But there's gonna come a moment where a car is gonna do something incredibly dangerous. And have you ever been in that that moment of like, like just missing it? just missing something horrible and tragic and an accident. And in that moment, everybody, I don't care who you are or what you believe, in that moment, every single one of us go, oh my God. In those moments, sometimes it's when the phone rings, like, like all of us have inside of us, every single one of us, not just those in the church, but everyone in the world has in our hearts some truth, and that truth is that there is a God. 
Maybe you see it uh, in the mountains or in your child's face. But Paul says, okay, so out there for all of us is this truth. But there are those of us who try to suppress the truth, right? And he goes on to say, uh, we don't have any excuse for not knowing God. But sometimes we try to suppress that truth and we think up foolish ideas of what God is like. And the result is our, our minds become dark and confused. And when we kind of deny, so in our hearts there is this truth of God, but when we try to deny that truth, that's where things really begin to go sideways. It's like turning off gravity. When we deny the truth of God, all of a sudden, up and down, which way is right we lose all sense of uh, uh, our ship becomes unanchored and we become cast around by the sea. Like we have nothing to hold us down or, or to help us discern right from wrong. Have you ever been sideways? That's my way. I use that word all the time. Man, I've been sideways and sometimes I've said black is white and up is down and right is left. Right? Have you been there? Like all orientation gets, gets messed up. We lose orientation when we lose the truth of God in our hearts, when we try to suppress it. And it says, instead of becoming wise, we become utter fools. And, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, it says we begin to worship idols. And what do these idols look like? Well, some look like birds, some look like reptiles. And here's the big one. Most of our idols look like us. So we suppress the truth of God in our hearts and instead of worshiping the ever-living God who is present everywhere, we begin to worship who? Ourselves. Sideways. Are you with me? Okay, because it's going to get worse. Are you ready? Let's keep reading. What does it mean to be sideways? What does it look like when, uh, uh, how, how does it look when our, we lose our orientation, when the gravity is turned off? How does that work out? What's the result? What does it look like in our life? Well, look what he says. Let's read verse, this long section, verse 24 through verse 32. It says this. Things get sideways we begin to worship ourselves instead of worship God. It says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, 
he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful, and they invent new ways of sinning, and they, this is the big one, disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy, and worst of all, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. You guys know this piece of scripture? Have you heard it before? Uh, unfortunately, Romans is probably known for this more than anything else. Um, so I want to explain a couple things. Uh, for me, as I look at this text, it starts with heart. There's a truth in our heart, and when we don't pay attention to that truth or we try to suppress the truth of God in our heart, that's when things in our lives get really sideways. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then it says something really difficult for us to understand. And uh, I, I haven't seen a really good translation of this yet, but even a, a couple of times in the New Living Translation, it says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. Their hearts have suppressed the truth of God, and so their hearts are consumed with other desires. And it says, it says actually a couple of times, so God abandoned them. And I want to talk about that idea. Uh, because abandonment seems really cruel and hateful and harsh and and uh, and almost vengeful. But when you look up that word in Greek, it, it means to to give over to from close beside. So this is a situation where. Um, God isn't just tossing up his hands and turning his back and walking away. If, if you could imagine, this is the most difficult, like, release, like a, a, a father releasing his son, like, not wanting to let go. So incredibly close to the situation. Can't, can't imagine letting go. If you can imagine the scene of the prodigal father. The son approaches the father and asks for the father's inheritance, essentially saying, you are dead to me. And the father begrudgingly gives it, right? Desperate that the son would make a different choice, would choose a different, the father would choose a different path every single time. That's what it means when it says, uh, I know the word abandon doesn't get that, but, but it, is, it is a begrudging giving you over to this, but it hurts me. That's, that's, how, that's what it means. But you say, well, still, God gives us over to this thing, and, and I would tell you, man, he has to. The holiness of God and sin cannot occupy the same space. They can't. 
It's like uh, opposite poles of a magnet. They, they, they repel each other. Sometimes I've talked to you about this idea of, of sin or suppressing the truth of God produces wickedness. And, and this idea of sin or wickedness in our lives is really a, a distance. It creates distance between us and God. Even in the Old Testament, the temple system was about the, the nearness of God had to do with our holiness. And when we sinned, guess what? It, it created a physical distance from the holy of holies to the holy place, to the temple court, to outside the temple Now here's the thing, even though it says, so God abandoned them, who really creates the distance between us and God? Yeah. I think the overwhelming evidence of scripture is a God who is desperate to be near us, beside us, to have us in his embrace, doing everything he can. If anybody abandons anybody, We know the truth of God and have suppressed it. The truth is we are the ones who create the distance. We are the ones who abandon him. You might even ask, okay, so... um, how can a loving God let us abandon him? How can, how can he even give us that choice? Well, love is always about choice, right? If God forced our hand, if you force the hands of your children to do the things that you want them to do every single time, that's not love, right? Even if I attempted to force you or, or somehow coerce you to love me, that wouldn't, I can make you say, I love you. But that's not love, is it? Love is always free will. And so even though it pains God with the, like, the greatest pain imaginable to let us go, to let us choose these other things, to let our lives lose all orientation without him, he does so. Why? Because... He loves us. This is deep stuff. Are you with me? Are you with me? And the result is uh, an incredibly sideways life. When we don't know which way is up, all of our desires get turned upside down. Um, and that's where the hammer comes in. I made one for us. Jeremiah's not here. Don't tell him I did that to a stage. I hate it. But as I mentioned, most people, what they know of Romans is this. Covered all over this 10-pound sledgehammer are the very words from that piece of scripture. And most people only know this part of Romans because they have been on the receiving end of this. 
Because these words from scripture have done more to beat people up, to punish people, chastise people, pound on people than maybe any other passage in the Bible. One community, and you know the one I'm talking about in particular, right? There are people (laughs) not in churches all over the world because scripture has been used like this. And I need to repent because I've, I've wielded that hammer. Even as I was preparing this teaching this week, I talked to a couple of other friends of ministry and pastors. And when I told them the passage, <laughs> several of them said, you know, you know, I just I need to repent too because I've used these words to beat people over the head. I've used it for harm. I've used these words as if Paul was writing them to somehow describe, okay, there are good people over here and bad people over here, and God has given us his word to go after the bad people. Because I'm not like one of these people. I keep my promises. My mind isn't dark and confused. I haven't done shameful or vile or degrading things. And all of us, or maybe not all of us, but I at least, today as I read this text before you, I need to repent of the times I've wielded this text as a hammer. Maybe you do too. Because we who call ourselves Christians need to embrace a greater message. In fact, uh, we don't need to just stop with these 15 verses from Romans. Romans is 16 chapters, but I hate that, that it is known primarily for these verses. And, and if you wanted to, you know, we, we like to pick out our worst kind of sins in other people's lives without looking at the sins in our own life. You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, your sin is way worse than mine, Right? I think actually if you look at that list of things, and it doesn't just talk about sexual relations, women and men, it goes on to list many other things, greed and hate and envy and murder, quarreling, deception, backstabbing, all of this. And honestly, if you ask me in that list to rank worst from, from least to worst, the worst one in that list for Paul is disobeying your parents. And so we as Christians, as men and women of God, need to keep reading. How many of you know what chapter 2, verse 1 says? Let's look at it together. Let's read these verses. The very next verse. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no, what's the word? Would you say they are wicked and should be punished? You are only condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Let's keep going. A couple more verses. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. 
Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Instead, if there is one prescription in in this for you, for us, it is not to wield this. It is instead to, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? If Paul advocates anything, it is tolerance, patience, and wonderful kindness. Are you with me? I think Paul, in this section of Scripture, isn't trying to identify, okay, here's the good people on this side, and here are the bad people on this side. Go ahead. Go after them. I think Paul's list is meant for us to read and go, okay, um, they exchanged this for this, and their lives became full. Oh, that's, that's me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's me too. And... And, and I've done that, and, and that's been me. We are to look at this list. Remember, who, who is Paul writing this letter, letter to? Non-Christians or Christians? He's writing to Christians. And his purpose in writing isn't to divide people, but to say, you Maybe this makes you feel uncomfortable, but the thing that unites us is that we've all done it. There's not one of us in here who has not in some way, shape, or form at some point in time tried to suppress the truth of God that exists in us. We all have. We have all been guilty of wickedness, pain, hurt, (laughs) disobeying our parents, right? And so Paul, in chapter one, says, hey, there's this truth that exists in all of us, and instead of being divided about how that we try to suppress that truth, the, the reality is that we should be united in understanding that every single one of us, the whole kit and caboodle, has sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Look what it says in um, chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. I know I'm jumping ahead. Graham's going to teach more about this next week. But if you read a little bit more, don't narrow Romans down to 15 verses, but keep reading. Paul says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for who? Everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Keep going. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet. This is the, this is the big yet. So, so what if there's one thing that unites us, if the thing that unites us is that we are all sinful. Right? Yet, 
God freely and graciously declares that we are what? Righteous. He did this through who? Remember in Romans, the good news is always capitalized because Paul's writing a letter of good news. The good news is a person. He did this through the good news when he freed us from the penalties of our sins. I told you, it's heavy, right? In just a few moments, I'm going to dismiss you to a time of communion together. We have tables set up around the room. It's something we love to do each week. Uh, it's more than tradition. It, it's part of the life of our church. To gather around tables together, to share Christ, and the, the elements on the table help us remember the blood of the good news and the body of the good news that was poured out for us so that we would be made right with God again. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray and dismiss you to this time of good news. And I just want you to rem- remind you of a couple of things. During this time, we, we think it's a time of sharing, and so I'd love for you to share with each other. But during this time of communion, maybe you need to put down the hammer. Maybe inside of you right now are some some hard attitudes towards people who aren't like you or you think aren't like you. What would it look like for you to instead of focus on only the differences, see others the way Christ sees them. And maybe like I've done this week, you just need to, even if you want to, come on up here. I'll just leave it sitting up here. You just need to come and kneel before the hammer and ask for repentance. I think think the church, I'm talking universal church, probably needs to ask for repentance. This judgment isn't, isn't for us. In the courtroom, we're witnesses, not judges. So maybe you need to just come and, and put hammer down, and, and I guarantee you there are a huge number of us that are affected by people who are still on that list, in that list. Maybe we need to just pray for opportunities of how we could share some good news with them. This isn't going to get it done. Amen? Maybe during this time of communion, um, it will be for you to listen to your heart again. Remember where this thing starts. Inside each and every one of us, there is the truth of God. And sometimes I, uh, I, I do believe that. And, and if you don't believe that, uh, I, I'm going to choose to be patient <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'm not right, but I, I believe God's word, and that's what it says, that there is a truth of God that all of us can know. And if you're not ready, then I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to wait beside you. But I'm, I'm praying for you to come to know this truth. And in my own life, 
maybe you and I just as even in this communion time, maybe we just need to think about what are the ways that we're suppressing the truth of God in our hearts? Are there things that we're doing to, to try to keep God at bay or keep him contained? What would it be to what would it look like to live out of that truth? And finally, just the last thing as we talk about the whole kit and caboodle. I just want to remind you that, hey, we're all in this thing together. I'm on a stage with lights and a microphone pointed at me, but I'm no different than you. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't need the, the grace of Jesus Christ any less than you do. And the incredible good news of Romans is that, okay, if, so if we are all in this thing together, God, out of his infinite love for us, sent his one and only son into the world so that you might live, right? It even goes on, you know, everyone knows John 3.16, but what about John 3.17? Which Jesus came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. And so today, man, maybe I just invite you to accept, maybe for the first time in your life, Accept the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're ready to get baptized, and we've, we've got the, the place set up for that. We've got, uh, we even have really cool new baptism t-shirts. I'm just telling you, you get baptized, you get a t-shirt. Um, that's not the only reason I want you to get baptized, but it is, it is true. Let go of the hammer. Look into your own heart. And recognize that we are all in this together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Um, I, I pray that your spirit has moved powerfully. Uh, some, that, that some work of your spirit happens between uh, my voice and people's ears. That God, you know how to speak. You know how to speak to the heart. You're a cardiologist. You're a heart specialist. And so God, I pray that, that hearts would be moved. Maybe, maybe moved to just repent of some of our attitudes and sins. God, maybe we just need to remember that, hey, we are, we are just as, as bad as anybody else. Like, we all are in this together. We all need the entire world, the whole universe, the whole kid and caboodle. We need the love and, and forgiveness and grace that comes from you through the good news, your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that we would accept that and live out of it today. We love you, Father. Bless us as we enter into this time of communion to remember your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says...